You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. I am your host, the Monster. And for today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or, to sum up how I feel, I would pronounce Kenobi like this. Kenobi! So, yes, I am quite frustrated with Obi-Wan Kenobi. You mean old Ben? No, two different guys. Two different guys who live on a desert and it's all alone. Regardless, we have six episodes in which, like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I will go ahead and review each one as a separate podcast and release weekly. So this being the first one, it was delayed just because I just had a little too much on my plate. It was supposed to have been released last Wednesday, and it's being released this Wednesday. Although, thank God I kind of waited on recording this and releasing this. So yesterday or this morning, I came across something about a fan who did a fan edit of all six episodes into a two and a half hour movie. So I, as I was looking to see, can I watch it before it gets taken down? That kind of feeling. I was able to uh, not only find a website that it's on, I was able to even download a copy for myself. In addition to the six episodes that I will do the review, the bonus episode will be number seven, in which I'll be talking about that fan edit compared to the the, the series. I'm not saying I hate everything about this, but it is so very, almost at times not even necessary, considering how this was was originally going to be a solo movie, not solo solo movie, but the solo Ben Kenobi movie. But since Solo tanked, and it's not because Solo was a bad movie, it's just it came out six months after Last Jedi, which, you know, not a whole lot of people liked. So they took it out on Solo, and that should not have happened, because if you watch Solo... It is really damn good compared to the the sequel trilogies, right? We find out that there was a writer who was scheduled to write Obi-Wan Kenobi as a trilogy of movies. And since that was not going to be the direction, since the solo movie did not meet expectation, someone else came to write what this writer did and adapted more or less that script to this series and in honestly i i think there's just so much that could have been left out so much that you could have brought in 
But nonetheless, we have this series as such. Let's just start off with this. When you see the opening of this series, and we get this, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it is one of the best sequences that I've ever felt watching a Star Wars TV series because it had a recap from the prequels. That in itself, I'm like, oh my God, that is so damn good. It really makes the prequels look really damn good. Like, I should go watch this. Well, let's not go overboard here. You could just watch the, the recap and you get what's going on much quicker. I'm just saying. Okay, in fairness, I, I've i watched the prequels recently when I did my geek out with um, my library. And the kids, or the teens, I should say, that were there grew up on that. That was their Star Wars. I feel so sorry for the kids that grew up and watching the sequels because to say that's their Star Wars, and I'm like, oh my God, you are so misled. If you think that, like, that's your Star Wars, I will even go up to when a Force Awakens up to that point, but I shall not go any further. Not past this line. No further. <sighs> Anywho, so the whole recap sequence, again, makes it feel like when you watch the Clone Wars series, Last time on Clone Wars. And I'm like, it does that kind of nostalgia feeling. Except with the narration. But it has encapsulated all the great moments that you would see from a recap. As if I felt like those were, were like seasons one, two, and three. And this is like after the first, uh, this is like the first break coming back for the summer. And this is the first episode from the, from the cliffhanger. And like you're waiting to see what's going to happen. And you get all hyped. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we're doing this. I'm I'm on board. And then it like pumps his brakes quite abruptly. Because we don't get to see a whole lot. Once we're done with all the recap, goes to black. We get our famous Lucasfilm LTD lighting up. And we get the nice, cool Star Wars uh, different icon, whatever opening that the Marvel MCU does, but now this is Star Wars version, which is, I'm like, I'm kind of cool with that. We get an opening from Order 66 or something that happened during that time frame back on Coruscant. I'm okay up to a certain point, and then I didn't catch this until the second time. They're a bunch of younglings and a Jedi are doing, you know, whatever exercises, and then the doors open up, and then all of a sudden there comes the stormtroopers. All of a sudden the camera is shaking quite violently, as if I felt like, Am I on a Star Tours ride? Because that's exactly what it feels like. All of a sudden, like, why is it doing that? It just it felt weird. And then I felt like, you know, for for all intents and purposes, the the lightsaber stuff, like, you know, these Jedi should be able to block. They should know when things are coming. Like, they're getting kind of picked off quite easily. And not in, like, a, a cool way, but it was like, 
Oh, come on. You didn't see that coming? And then, you know, the poor Jedi that is with this pack dies. And then they don't know what the younglings don't know what to do, except one of them says, we should run. And then off they go. And then nothing happens for quite some time. And it does come back later on. And I'm like, okay. So we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> because it just seemed like, you know, like, yes, we saw this, but this is from another another thing that's occurred during that situation or that incident that no one else saw. So I give you that. Much like when we saw uh, Grogu having a flashback to similar situations. We don't know exactly where, but here's that situation from his point of view. And then we flash forward to 10 years later, back on Tatooine. So we have... Uh, I guess the Inquisitor ship, whatever the, the name of it, I still don't know. But So the Sith Squad, trying to make a big-ass impression, walking down the street, coming to an open bar, and they make mention that they're hunting a Jedi. But the Grand Inquisitor, you know, does his little monologue. Because, <laughs> you know, when you monologue... You're a bad guy, because that's what people do who are evil. They monologue. But I did kind of like what he was saying, is that the way they kind of sniff out Jedis is that if you do something or harm someone, it's in their nature to go and help and prevent that from being done to any harm coming to anyone in that sense. And of course, it worked. To the point where, well, in to, to put a pin on that, the speculation that I was thinking it was Cal Kestis from the video game because he was still on the hunt or on the lamb, and it wasn't. So forget that idea. But this is some Jedi that we've never seen before, and that's fine. He was able to escape, but what we saw is that Reva, who is the third sister, and the Grand Inquisitor... They each kind of have beef with each other to the point where we've never seen that kind of infighting necessarily within the Empire or within that kind of structure. But it's crucial to kind of help solidify that Riva has an emotional journey that we are not privy to just yet. Because that opening scene that we saw from Order 66 plays out much later on. But the, the problem line is that when we see Reva on a screen, a lot of fans took issue about her as a character or her as an actress on social media, and we, we've gone down this road before with The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with Rose Tico. Again, some really bad apples that are claiming to be fans should not be attacking the actual people who play these characters. Attack the people who produce or have written bad crap that these poor actors have to act and produce. Because sometimes you get a great actor and you have crappy material. And that crappy material, as best as they can, 
try to spin it to make it look like it's gold, but sometimes it's still going to be crap. So it's not their fault. Now, having said that, I have not seen Moses, who's the actress, play in the Queen's Gambit. So I do want to see her performance in that and then compare to see how well she is as an actress. Now, if I do that and I see she sucks in the Queen's Gambit, which I'm sure she doesn't, then I'll know that, hey, she's not a great actress, despite, you know, the script. I mean, in fairness, Ewan McGregor, as Obi-Wan, has some clunky lines, but he is still able to make it work. I don't think she has that kind of, of panache to kind of carry this character forward. But who knows? Maybe in the process, I will feel something different about there. Since I know how that character and her backstory is going to end, maybe things will play out again differently the second time around. So the next scene, we get to see Obi-Wan doing what Obi-Wan is doing, is keeping a low profile. He's some type of alien sushi chef. I don't know. But they're carving up meat from this dead carcass. And, like, the the bell, the, the, the whistle ends for the shift, and people are leaving, and I'm like, but there's still food, there's still meat <laughs> on those workstations. And I'm like, yo! Finish up your shift properly. Uh, like, how is this not, like, appropriate, especially if you're running a business? Or at least have, like, a second shift and to kind of continue, because if everyone's going home, what's going to happen to all that damn meat? Not that I care, but it was just like, it doesn't make sense to have this carcass that's going to be out in the sun, and then overnight... You're going to have whatever beasts that are out there going to attack this thing. And then you're going to do it again the next day and like nothing happened. That's, that's some BS, right? <laughs> that's just some BS. In any case, the other thing is that Obi-Wan is sneaking little pieces of meat, you know, every time he answers shit. I'm like, how is this not being checked or no one realizes this? And I'm like, again... I know you want to keep a low profile, but don't steal from the company that you're you're trying to work for. I mean, it's not like it's a pen or a post-it note. Jesus. No, I guess the whole reason is to get to this point where one of the workers was complaining, like, hey, this is like half or a quarter of what I was supposed to get. And the boss is like, what are you going to do? You're going to quit and get another job? So Kenobi doesn't interfere. He doesn't do his Jedi mind trick to say, you will pay this man's full wage. And a bonus. He doesn't do that. The point of this scene is to show that Obi-Wan does the thing that the other Jedi should have been doing for the past 10 years. Those two will meet eventually. To that, we see his journey back into town and gets on his OP or whatever creature, camel, sand camel, whatever you want to call it, back to his cave, and then he's preparing his meal, and if it has that kind of vibe, like, wait a minute, Ray did that. Isn't Ray a Kenobi? <laughs> like, no, we're not doing Ray as a Kenobi. But it had that kind of weird kind of vibe because both of them cooked their meals, and he sat outside eating, and I'm like, oh, 
It would have been nice if Ray was a Kenobi and not a Skywalker. <laughs> Let's not go down this road. Oh my god, I hated that sequel. Anyway, uh, we get a scene with the Jawa who is giving Ben the, uh, I guess, a T-16 Skyhopper that's broken. So it's nice to see the origin of that model, considering where it ends up in the movie for Star Wars A New Hope. And then the other thing, too, is that, you know, he, I guess, has a relationship with this Jawa who apparently keeps ripping him off by stealing his equipment and selling it back to him. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if you're going to keep on ripping me off, the very least you can do is clean them. And like a little Baz was like, you know, cleaning's extra. I'm like, freaking Jawas. But again, this is his life. So, yeah. All right, we'll just leave it at that. And then we get a nice little flashback in which Obi-Wan is, uh, I guess, having a nightmare or reliving the events from what had happened before in the previous movies. Which, again, if you've never seen Star Wars before, you just come in Obi-Wan, at least you're getting shown what is the thing that is troubling Obi-Wan. Because... That is a thing that is troubling him from the guilt of raising him since he was eight, so to speak, as a Padawan all those years to becoming, you know, uh, a Jedi himself, although never getting the grant of the title of Master Jedi, but and, and not seeing it on the council. But the two of them had a close bond over the years. So there's an immense guilt that he does carry with him, this big burden. You know, he's sitting alone in this cave. I'm like, there's nothing else he can do except just deal with this. And then the next day, he goes out and tries to spy on on Luke. And he does see him kind of mimic uh, him pretending to be in a speeder or some type of fighter. You know, that scene that we see in the trailers. So as they go back inside, Obi-Wan leaves the bag for... For uh, Luke, he heads back to his cave, and that's where we meet the other Jedi that we see at the very beginning. And he's like, well, you know, he's, he's happy to find another Jedi and so forth. But this is where it just, it's a thing that Ben is so, I, I don't want to say curmudgeon. He is not curmudgeon, but he is riddled with so much defeat in his life again he's been carrying this for 10 years so when he sees this jedi it's like oh my god i i need you to help me and all this i was like no no no. what you need to do take your lightsaber and go bury it and just live your life like a normal person and don't even bother we lost so he is very self-defeated and that is his mantra i'm not going to say necessarily like that is the homogeneous starting but that's what he has have to live, and that is the, the mantra that he is going to die by, so to speak. It's like, you know, there are, we're done. The other guy was not having it, and unfortunately, that costs him dearly. But let's put that aside. So our next scene, we get Alderaan in all the wrong places, where we see what we think is a young princess. Hmm... I wonder who could this be? Well, we do get to see not Princess Leia because she got someone else to pretend to be her. 
Sounds like what Padme would have done, maybe, in growing up as a queen. But in any case, you know, she is out in the wilderness, and she's watching these the spaceships uh, leave, and she mentions a, uh, a reference to an Aquilian ranger. And the reason why I perked up on this, because the Aquilian ranger was something that's not going to be anywhere other than on the second draft of George Lucas's original Star Wars movie. The Aquilian Ranger was kind of like like a Jedi-ish, an early version of that. And back then, instead of Luke Skywalker, it was Deke Starkiller. It was kind of cool to see that being brought up. So I don't know if the Aquilian Rangers have ever been seen on any animated TV shows or in the books. Please let me know if that is something that you know, that kind of deep cut. We see her running and doing other kid stuff. We see a flea in the forest, or at least the guy who is our next bad guy, who is actually flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I'm like, wait, isn't that flea? Yeah, it is. Once again, cut away from there. It gets worse from there. <laughs> we'll come back to Ben cutting his meat during his shift again, and he's stealing again a piece of meat for his uh, EOP. Um, and then when he gets back into town, Owen shows up, throws the bag down. It's like, you know, he doesn't need toys. And it's like, but it's for him. I'm like, so, like, Owen's like, you know, he's my family. He's not yours. So you just need to kind of slow your roll. And then Ben is still keep pushing. It's like, you know, when the time comes, you know, he has to be trained. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like how you trained Anakin. And that was a burn. Which is ironic, because he didn't see when he gets killed and also gets burned. Which is another meme, which I think was a, was absolutely fantastic. But here's the thing that really gets me upset. If at this time, Luke is already 10 years old. And we've seen younger kids, younglings, get trained much younger. When Luke finally meets Ben... And that moment passes when he dies, and then we said, go to Yoda, he'll train you, and all. And then even Yoda says, he's too old to train. What is the point of saying this line? And especially since Obi-Wan is already at this point, it's like, you know what, just don't do anything as a Jedi. So why are you going to train poor Luke to do something that is a Jedi? <sighs> I don't understand why he is the way he's doing. If anything, he should be forging more alliances for the day in which you'll need this young kid to ignite the force or ignite the light in the darkness that you may not be able to carry, but at least you trained him to be prepared for that. I just think that is just, it doesn't make sense to put it in that context. And especially when when he himself does say later on that the time of the Jedi is over. Which is, ironically, something similar to what an old Luke says in The Last Jedi. So again, what we're doing with Jedis, we're really making them suck. So bad. Aside from that, we get another moment here 
after that burn line in which the fifth brother and the third sister, which is Reva, walking down the street. And I'm like, it just seems like this is something that you would have seen in uh, Disney Hollywood where you have one of those characters, actors like, we're hunting Jedis. What do you know of any Jedis around here and all that? It was interesting that the fifth brother is using reward as opposed to Reva being, we will punish you if you don't give us that information. And then there was this one elderly woman who uh, spoke up against Reva, and Reva just came along, lit up her lightsaber, and like cut off her hand. And I'm like, what's the thing with hands, people? Jesus, everyone's getting their hands cut off. But I just thought that's kind of messed up. And considering, you know, we've seen a lot worse, I guess cutting off a hand is not that bad. Although you can't really clap afterwards. She goes to Owen, who she has a sense about him. And here's another thing, is that, again, later on we find out that she is one of the the Padawans, but if you're a Sith, not even a Sith Lord, you're kind of Sith-ish, Sith-like, she kind of gets a feeling about Owen, she knows about that he's a farmer and such, but Owen doesn't give him up at all. And the reason why I bring that up, because when Luke, on Return of the Jedi, was hiding from Vader, and Vader is taunting him, and it's like, oh, wait, you have a twin sister. And I'm like, he gave it up. How is it that Owen is able to give it up, unless Reva is not that strong of a Sith Lord? Again, Sith-like, or Sith-ish. Maybe her training is incomplete. I don't know. But I would have thought, hey, being a Star Wars fan, that doesn't make sense in that sense. From a certain point of view, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) All right. So after that moment, the fifth brother and the third sister uh, had issues. But it's more the brother saying, you know, you, you really need to, like, you know, take it down a notch and telling her to kind of stand down. Well, back to Alderaan, and we see Bill Organa, who is standing on a platform with his family and Leia. And Leia has to see her cousin, who is less than thrilled to be uh, there. But, you know, she has to make nice. But what I liked about this is that we see Leia, young Leia being the Leia that we know down the road, that she can read a room and not be afraid to address an issue that comes up. She's able to defend herself as well as attack others in a very kind of like, not a dignified manner, but I'm like, she plays one-upmanship very well. Her cousin was kind of mocking her because she was thanking one of the droids that gave her a drink or whatever food item. So he was saying that, you know, the droids are lower life forms. And then Leia was like, you know, well, I guess I don't need manners to talk to you. So again, Leia can throw shade, some serious shade for a young kid. One of the other cool moments that I saw and, and missed, there's C-3PO. And the subtitles, once again, confirmed that it was C-3PO and not some random protocol droid. So I thought that was kind of cool. We then get to see Bale and Leia have a moment after the mom saying, you have to apologize to your cousin for the way you spoke to him. So, 
you know, it's a nice moment between a father and daughter. And even though she knows that she is not really an organa, as the cousin brought up, I was like, no, you are a organa in every way possible. And I thought that was a great moment to see that confidence be reinforced. And I think it's like, not because of her father, but I just think, again, it's been reinforced to know that how Leia is. He's still encouraging her. From that point on, Leia runs off, back into the woods, runs right into Flea. <laughs> His name is Vect. And then two other people surround her, and I'm like, this becomes the first of two or maybe three lamest action scenes in which adults run after her, run poorly. And I'm like, dude, it is horrible at times to be like, there's this little tree that Leia runs under, and this guy or whatever that green thing guy is, uh, is running after her, he bumps right into it, as opposed to not looking down, saying that, hey, you can duck down and still continue. Maybe you could have caught her. Never would have dawned on that creature or whatever henchman. And I'm like, is this just filler? Or if it's not, this was the best take. And if that was the best take, I'm like, guys, you really need to do this again. In any case, we get in, uh, I guess, a communication from Bail Organa to Kenobi. And then, like, he's breaking the, the code that you're not supposed to be in communications with each other. But, you know, this is a desperate moment. And even though Obi-Wan says, you know, you can get other people. I was like, yeah, yeah, but it's a little more of a, a sensitive situation. So he's like, you know, I'm, I, it's been 10 years, man. Get someone else. I'm not the same guy you thought I was. And then he leaves it at that. And then the next day, back at the uh, the town that he leaves his Eopi at, we see that the Jedi that he kind of shunned is hung. But kind of hung, like, nicely. <laughs> because they're not going to hang him by the neck, but he's, like, su- like su- properly supported by the waist and then hung. And I'm like, I'm like, they're very gentle. But if that's supposed to be conveying a message of, like, you know, this is what we do to Jedis, and he serves as a message to others, and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind. Like, if you have back problems, I wouldn't mind that, or just kind of, like, play Superman. And it looks kind of fun because you can actually swing back and forth on it. But I'm like, yeah, you know, I get the whole dead part. But that's besides the point. If the Jedis are far and in between, that's not a very threatening message. Remember for the Mandalorian where we saw like a row of stormtrooper helmets on pikes? That's a message. Doesn't have to be bloody. You just need to make that message effective. Giving someone really good <laughs> upper body support while hanging does not convey a threatening message to any other Jedi. Again, no, it doesn't work that way. And then, as if, like, dude, I hang on, I hung up on you. I'm saying I don't want to do the jump. You're going to come all the way over here to do the damn job. So Bill shows up at, literally in Ben's cave. 
Like, did he know exactly where the cave was going to be? Because that's kind of like, you shouldn't know that information. In case of an emergency, you should not know that information. But apparently he does. <laughs> I guess because of the guilt that he had with Anakin, that he thinks that maybe this will help absolve that, that the feeling that he's been dealing with, but being by himself. All right. Ben goes out someplace on the desert where he hid the two lightsabers. And again, it seems like this is a thing that people are doing. They're hiding shit out in the desert because Ray did that also with the lightsabers. And again, how was she not a Kenobi and not know that what Ben did? It just seems like that was a very Kenobi thing. I don't know. Unless it's in the books that someone said, if you're hiding out and you don't want to just hide it in the desert and put it on the ground. It just seemed weird that you make a thing that was in the sequel and connect that to do two different characters and then they're not really even related. Whatever. So he finds the the hilt for his old saber as well as his own. And then I think he goes back to the cave. We don't see because when he's back in town and he's deciding about going on the transport, he moves his robe so someone can see that he that's a light sword or laser sword sorry and i'm like look you've been saying live your normal life and for 10 years that's how you live and then you're gonna show like brandish this thing and i know it's done for the audience that he is back baby no you don't do that you just underplay it and just have him go to the actual ship and just leave it at that did he carry his his lightsaber with him leave that for episode two i'm, I'm just gonna leave it at that because that's how the episode ends and i'm gonna have to do some major editing because there was a lot of pause in between i mean it's okay it is not great i i i again I, it starts off with a really great moment of seeing the episodes one, two, and three being done as a recap. And it feels very much like, oh my God, we're doing a show based on the movies. And I'm like, but when we get to the actual show, it doesn't feel anything, anything like what we saw in the movies. I don't want to say like this is going to feel cheap, but at times it feels like it's cheap. Unlike like, say, Book of Boba Fett or The Mandalorian. It feels good. It feels like Star Wars again. Seeing Ewan McGregor back as Kenobi. So, seeing Kenobi in this series, again, later on, we get those Kenobi moments that every fan loves, or at least for me, love even more. I just don't think this is a very strong episode considering what I have just went over. So, all right. Got five more episodes to talk about the actual series. Again, remember, I'm going to do a bonus episode of the fan edit and compare the series to that fan edit and see what fares better. All right, so I sure hope you listen to me rant and rave about this. And I would love to hear your thoughts. So you can always email me at monstersci-fi-show at gmail.com. Follow me in the various social networks. Remember to subscribe, 
remember to rate and to review my podcast wherever you get it. So on that note, thank you for listening to me and to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Good night. So how do we describe this show? Like, what's really going to grab people's attention and make them tune in? Nerdgasm for your eargasm? What? The space must flow to be in the know. Um. Don't be a willow. Grab your pillow. But that one doesn't even make sense. All right, stop. Snag a seat and listen. The nerds are back with the brand new edition. No. Uh, okay, then. The Blurred Nerds Podcast. Rants, raves, reviews, recaps, and other bits of random fandom. Well, see, that's perfect. You should have just led with that one. Resistance is futile. Listen to the Blurred Nerds Podcast right meow. Fine. Make it so. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.